This morning's Old Testament uh, lesson is from Psalm 41, uh, verses 1 through 13. And, uh, of course, that is the whole psalm. It is actually a psalm that is one of the psalms, if you're on a read scripture plan, it's one of the psalms for this week. Um, And it is also a psalm that is going to be referenced by Jesus in the passage we're going to be looking at later this morning. So pay close attention as we go through these readings this morning. This is Psalm 41, verses 1 through 13. And before I read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you that we can come to you. And God, we thank you that you have also come to us. God, we thank you for uh, the word that you have given to us. And we thank you, uh, most of all, for your living word of Jesus. Lord, we pray that um, as we read your word, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, give us minds to understand. God, help us to see how uh, your word reveals who you are. Lord, how it reveals who we have been called to be as we find ourselves in, uh, as your people in the middle of a, um, as in the middle of history that is your history. God, help us never to lose sight of who is really in control. Lord, help us to hear from you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 41. For the director of music, a psalm of David. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, Have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who, has shared, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Turning into our New Testament lesson, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And just like last week when we were reading through uh, 1 Peter, said we don't have time to go into the issues that it brings up regarding uh, slavery. Likewise, we don't have time this morning to go over the uh, issues this brings up in regards to, uh, to gender. <laughs> And uh, so, like I say, we're not going to go into that, but we are going to read this passage. And I just want you to know at the outset that any interpretation of this that is um, used to denigrate or disrespect anyone 
is clearly out of line, as you see later in the passage. That's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, it is uh, the, as I mentioned earlier, the second Sunday of Easter. And so, as we talked about last week, um, the reason that we gather on Sundays is because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so, as we said, you know, the Easter Sunday uh, is a time where we celebrate the resurrection. And yet, it's actually what we celebrate every Sunday. Um, And so we gather together for that same reason today, but we're starting this whole new kind of sermon series in the middle of a sermon series we've already been in. And so we have been going through the Gospel of John for about a year now, and uh, we have gone all the way through chapter, we're in chapter 13 right now. Um, But here's, we kind of enter into a whole different period of of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's interesting that it happens at this particular time in our history because it's a time where Jesus removes himself from the crowds and goes into a room and stays there with his disciples and talks with them. And I think that might be a feeling we can relate to a little bit these days. Um, But it's also different in this way. It's not just that Jesus isn't doing uh, the public teaching right now. It's not that he's not, not around crowds. There's something else that's different about this particular time, and that is typically when we see Jesus uh, performing signs. We've talked about how there are seven signs that are given in uh, the Gospel of John, things that are pointed to as, as these signs. And uh, when Jesus does these things, he then comes back and explains often, not always, but he will then explain uh, either to the crowds or to his disciples, what in the world this was about. And uh, one of my favorite places like that actually is uh, not in John, but in Matthew where Jesus tells this parable of the four soils. And he goes through and he tells the parable and everybody's like, I don't get it. <laughs> and then he says after that, then he takes his disciples and he goes and he explains to them. He kind of goes piece by piece through the parable and explains this is what this is about. <laughs> And oh, you know, now looking back on that parable, it makes a lot of sense. And that's normally what he does uh, with the signs as well. So he feeds people, uh, 5,000 in the wilderness. And then he goes on in an extended period of time talking about how he is the bread of life. And that is the actual explanation of what's going on here, that there's more to it than just eating this bread. It's what does it mean to actually feed 
on Jesus. And so that's uh, John chapter 6 where he explains this. Well, here we have the reverse. What we have about to happen is actually Jesus going to the cross and then the resurrection on the other side of that. And this is uh, the, the sign. This is death and resurrection. Um, but he doesn't have that first and then explain it to everybody later. He actually gets his disciples together to prepare them for this moment. To prepare them for the time where he's going to go to the cross, where he's going to die. And then when he's going to be raised again. And he gathers them together and he actually gives them all the explanation up front. He gives it to them ahead of time. And he tells them, uh, one of the things we looked at last week is he, he gathers them together. First thing he does is he stoops down, he washes their feet. And he says, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And that, I think, can carry through the entire rest of this conversation that he has with them. And if you have a, a Bible that has red letters in it when Jesus is talking, if you'll just skim over the next few chapters, uh, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, it's almost entirely red. It's all Jesus talking because this is his time when he is close with those he's closest with. And he gets them together and he is explaining up front what his death and resurrection is all about, what this whole ministry has been about, what the whole kingdom has been about, and what it is that they are to be about. This is where that happens. And so that is what we are uh, beginning really today, kind of last week, but uh, this new series within a series of, yes, we're still working our way through the Gospel of John, but now we're looking, kind of zoomed in on this one evening and the things that Jesus says on this evening to his disciples and how everything plays out. Now, we'll get more into uh, the explicit teaching uh, next week of how this really goes and in the weeks to follow. Today, though, has a kind of a darker tone to it. This is... uh, one of the first things that happens that evening, it's not the first thing, and we talked about that last week, that it is significant this is not the first thing that happens. And what it is that we are talking about, and we'll read it in just a second, is Judas leaving the twelve, leaving Jesus, and going out to betray him. And we said it last week it was significant that this didn't happen first because the first thing that happens is Jesus washes their feet. And we talked about how Just mind-blowing it is that Jesus washes all his disciples' feet, including Judas, knowing that Judas is going to betray him. And as I mentioned last week, you know, might be tempting to uh, let Judas leave first, then we'll get on with the foot washing. But no, he actually washes Judas' feet too. Uh, Well, this week, we're actually looking at the passage where Judas leaves. And... uh, So we'll read it first, as is our custom. We will read it and then talk about it. Here we go. This is John chapter 13, starting in verse 18 and going on through verse 30. Uh, When Jesus had been washing their feet, he said to them in verse 10, uh, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said not everyone was clean. So you skip down to verse 18, and that's when he then picks it up and says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage, this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. 
I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Well, as I mentioned, there is kind of a uh, darker tone to this whole passage. And, um, and it seems odd that it has this kind of dark tone because this is a time when Jesus is gathered together for, for the Passover meal. I mean, they are gathering together. This is why they're in Jerusalem, uh, ostensibly, is to, to celebrate together this particular holiday. And they have gathered together in this upper room where uh, it, it's just them and they're intimate and they're close. And these are the, you know, like all the all the enemies, all the people who are trying to get Jesus are on the outside, right? So this is to be uh, a celebratory time. This is to be more of a happy time. And yet, that's not how it seems to go. Um, I heard one pastor kind of explain it this way when thinking about the dynamics of the table. He said, you know, if you've ever been at a holiday meal and you're seated at the table, but there are two people who really aren't getting along right now, everybody feels it. (laughs) Everybody feels it. And there is like this tension in the room, and you just know, uh, like everybody's kind of on eggshells. You're not sure uh, what's going to happen next. And he said, now imagine that not only uh, are they not getting along, but imagine that one of them actually wants to kill the other one and is planning to do so. And now, furthermore, imagine that the one whose life is at risk here knows about it. They know the plan. He said that is kind of the situation here around the, uh, this particular table and the tension that is there. And I would say that, yes, that is a helpful way. That is a very helpful way of thinking about the dynamics of what's going on. But really not for all the disciples. I think that is a very helpful way of understanding the dynamics between Judas and Jesus. Judas is the one who, as it has told us earlier, um, has already been, this is verse 2 in chapter 13. It says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. That prompting has already happened. 
And here he is at the table. His feet have already been washed. Here he is at the table. And Jesus knows it. But here's the crazy thing. This is why I say this, uh, that helps as far as their dynamics, but it doesn't really help with everybody else because everybody else doesn't feel the tension. They don't know that Judas and Jesus have this sort of thing going on. They don't know that Judas is out to get Jesus. How do we know that? Well, when Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me, how does everybody respond? They don't all look at each other and be like, yep, it's Judas. We, we know that. <laughs> Obviously, this guy. No. When Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, they're like, you've got to be kidding. Not, not one of us. Like, the enemies are out there. It's, it's, it can't be us, can it? Is it us? Is it me? If you read the other Gospels, that's actually the question they ask. Is, is it me? Could it be me? Because they didn't know. It wasn't obvious. And I think that's the first thing that we're supposed to get from this particular passage is that uh, while, yes, Jesus knew, the other disciples didn't know. In other words, Judas looked just like everybody else on the outside. Judas had been going around with Jesus for the last three years. He'd been participating in all the things that they'd all been doing. And he looked just like everybody else on the outside. So much so that when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, nobody points at Judas. They all can't believe it. So they stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Who could it be? Because whoever it was had acted just like everybody else. But beyond that, they didn't know who it was because Jesus hadn't treated anybody differently. And I think that part is just as mind-blowing as the first. That, uh, That even though Jesus totally knows who it is, and you'll see this as you go back through John and you read uh, every time that it talks about uh, Jesus, you know, I've chosen the 12 of you kind of thing. Anytime there's a reference to the 12, it's always like, but, you know, there's the one. (laughs) Uh, But one of you is a devil kind of thing. And this is uh, just this constant reminder that Jesus knew from the beginning who was going to betray him. He knew who it was. And yet, uh, they didn't know. And, but here's what's crazy, is that Jesus knew who it was, and nobody could tell who it was by the way Jesus treated people either. And so when it comes time to wash the feet, Jesus doesn't wash 11 pairs of dirty feet and then get to one and say, well, that's all the time I have today, folks. <laughs> he washes Judas's feet. And he has treated Judas just the same as he's treated everybody else for the past three years, knowing that he was going to betray him. Why? Why would you do that? If you knew that somebody was going to stab you in the back, would you treat them just the same as you do your best friend? That's how Jesus treats Judas. The other reason, though, that... uh, that they didn't know who it was. First, it's because, you know, Judas acted just like everybody else. Second, because Jesus treated everybody exactly the same. And three, I think every, each of the disciples knew their own weaknesses. And they realized it could be any one of them. That there was not a single one of them 
who, uh, who could claim perfection and to be completely faithful 100%. Now, we'll see next week uh, that Peter does have this sort of instinct in him to be like, I'll die for you. But, uh, but even still, they all know when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, it's almost like, I mean, maybe I wouldn't do it on purpose, but I suppose that might happen accidentally. Maybe it is me. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got problems. And so they all know that it could be them. And then we have this, uh, this beautiful moment, speaking of Peter, where you've got to love Peter. Every time we talk about Peter, you've got to love Peter. He's out there with it. And so everybody's kind of like looking around. Who, who could it be? Who could it be? Is it me? Is it, who knows? And Peter looks across at John, who's like right up next to Jesus. And I feel like these three verses are all in whisper. That Peter, you know, in all, amidst all the confusion, says to uh, John, Ask him who it is. Find out the the real deal here. And so he says, ask him which one he means. And so leaning back against Jesus, and of course the way that the tables are back then, and they're all down lower, you're actually more laying down on the ground uh, for these. And it says, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, And when it says that Jesus answered, he's answering John. Keep that in mind. He's answering John. He's not answering to everybody else. And so when he answers to John, he says, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And so for some reason, he uh, is letting John know what's going on. He doesn't let everybody else know. I don't know why. But he lets John in on this to let him know in advance, yes, I know who it is. And here's who it is. And then he dips the bread and he gives it to Judas, a sign actually of grace and of honor. And he gives him the bread. And Judas takes the bread. Jesus has just said, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And even if he doesn't hear that it's the one I give the bread to, he has just heard Jesus knows one of you, it's, it's going to be one of you. Maybe nobody else knows, but Judas knows who it's going to be. And when he takes the bread, it's in this moment that it's almost like he's he's sure of it. He's going down that path. And so even though it had said earlier uh, that it was, that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus, now it says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. It's almost like Judas has had moments of decisions along the way that are leading to this moment. Moments where, as it uh, has told us earlier, that uh, Judas was one, if you remember, when the woman is anointing Jesus with her tears and breaking the perfume on him, and uh, Judas is like, why this waste? Why this waste? Couldn't this have been sold and the money given to the poor? And John's like, yeah, he didn't care about the poor. He was the one who was actually the keeper of the money, and he used to kind of help himself out of that. And so we see that Judas has been making compromises along the way. And that now it's gotten to the point that now, maybe even to the point of betraying Jesus, and now we get to this moment, and it's like the hardening is complete. And it's at that point 
But there's no going back. At this point, uh, Satan enters into him. And so Jesus tells him, what you are about to do, do quickly. And again, nobody gets it. <laughs> nobody understands what in the world Jesus is talking about when he says, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. Except Jesus. I mean, except Jesus and Judas. They know. And so Judas in this moment knows that Jesus knows. But Judas now has a heart that has become fully hard. And that, I think, is one of the most bizarre things about this whole situation is that Judas has been around Jesus. He has seen nothing but goodness and love and light for the past three years out of this person. And yet, Jesus is not his highest love. That apparently there are things that come in front of Jesus for Judas to the point that when given the opportunity, he turns from Jesus. And so it says, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. And when John tells us that it was night, I don't think that he is telling us this because he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you what time it was. He doesn't do that through most of his uh, book here. But one of the things he does do throughout a lot of the book is talk about the difference between light and darkness. When he opens his entire book, he talks about in chapter 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then uh, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. This is a theme that goes over and over again through the Gospel of John. is this light and darkness. And we saw it uh, particularly in uh, chapter 12, where it's just over and over again. Uh, verse 35, then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. <laughs> You get it? Jesus is the light of the world. Walk with him while you have the opportunity. Judas has had the opportunity to walk with the light, and now at this moment, his heart has become so hard that he turns away from the light, and he goes out, and John says, and it is night. He goes out. He leaves the light of the world, and he goes out into darkness because where else do you go when you turn away from the light? And as John has told us that Jesus is the life. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. When Judas turns away from Jesus in this moment and turns away from the light and he goes into the darkness, it is also he is turning away from life and he is choosing death. Obviously, he knows he's choosing death for Jesus. But as you know the rest of the story, he is choosing death for himself too, and not just physically. That apart from from Jesus, who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. And so when Judas has this moment, it is a dark moment. I want to look at a couple things here. Uh, 
by way of recap. One is, uh, is looking at this darkness and how Judas got here. He is, uh, on the one hand, kind of a puzzle. We don't understand all of his motives and why he did exactly what he did. And the reason we don't understand all of that is because it was internal. His outward actions look just like everybody else. On the other hand, maybe we have a glimpse. If we know our own hearts, if we know the, uh, the depravity that's there and the things that we might be capable of, just given different circumstances or enough time in a particular direction, and that little hardening and little hardening over time until that one moment when we become hardened. Let's not go down that road. So that is um, one of the things we can learn as we look at Judas. We don't maybe know the motivations of his heart, but maybe we can get a peek into the motivations of our own. And in that, um, maybe we can turn to constant life of repentance so that as we start to go down that road, we turn and we go back to Jesus, knowing that he is the light, that he is the life. Secondly, we don't want to end, yes, this is, like I said, a darker tone passage. We don't want to end with the darkness. We want to, uh, as the title of our next hymn, we want to praise the one who breaks the darkness. (laughs) This is Jesus as the light of the world who comes into the darkness and, uh, and yet overcomes it. One of the things that, that Jesus has been saying throughout, you know, that Judas doesn't take his life from him. The priests don't take his life from him. The Romans don't take his life from him. He lays down his life. He gives his life for the good of others. And here's the thing. Uh, the first part of what we were looking at this morning, when Jesus starts this conversation, he gives us yet again one of the I am statements. And we talked about how in the Gospel of John, there are uh, seven signs. There are seven times that Jesus says, I am dot, 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 as though, you know, I am the bread of life, for example. But there's also seven times where Jesus says, I am, period. And some of those people kind of say, eh, maybe he's just saying, oh, it's me kind of thing. But there are seven of them. <laughs> and so the way that John has put this together, you think, I think maybe this is actually supposed to be those pointers back to when God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to tell the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so when Jesus says this, it's this identification this connection with the Father, which is exactly what we see in the next statement. So this is uh, where he says, I'm telling you this before it happens so that you will believe that I am who I am. Whoa. And then he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. In other words, there is this connection between Jesus and his followers, but also this amazing connection between the Son and the Father. When Jesus says, I am uh, who I am, That is that connection. And here's the point. When we look at at Jesus treating everyone the same, 
even those who were his enemy. When we look at Jesus treating everyone the same, even though he knows that Judas is about to stab him in the back, so to speak. When we see that, we've, we kind of marvel that Jesus would be able to do this. But here's the other part of this. He's going to spend the rest of this evening with 11 other people who are going to turn away from Jesus at his hour of need. And he knows that too. When Jesus is treating Judas with grace and with love and with mercy and with kindness, it's because this is what he does to everyone. And we all fall short. We all fall short. And yet this is how he treats us because this is how God loves the world. So when he says, I am who I am, part of that is showing that this is that same connection. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is that connection where Jesus is giving of himself and he gives the piece of bread to Judas and it is a moment. It is a moment of grace. He washes Judas's feet. It's a moment. It's a moment of grace. And at any of these moments, it is an opportunity for Judas to either come to Jesus or harden against him. If you don't know that feeling of hardening your heart (laughs) and what that actually feels like, I will explain it to you. It goes like this. If you've ever been in an argument with somebody, and you are really pitching your case, and you realize at some point, you realize at a moment in that argument, they say something, and you suddenly realize, I am in the wrong here. I am arguing the wrong side. And then in that same kind of split-second moment, you have this something in you that says, but I'm not giving up. (laughs) That's the hard thing. That's what that feels like. And I think this is what is happening uh, when we have the messages that Jesus gives us. He says, this is what life is like. This is what life is about. And we say, but I came wanting something else. I have some higher priority than you. I heard a pastor say, you know, there's a big difference between being known for being a Christian and actually loving Jesus. Those are two different things. Judas was known as a follower of Jesus, and he was not a follower of Jesus. Judas always had his own agenda ahead of the agenda of Jesus. And I feel like there's a lot of people who do the same thing, where we come to Jesus with our own agenda, and he continually puts before us his agenda. (laughs) And we have an opportunity to join him and to follow him or to recognize, wait, that's not my thing. Ah, Nope, I'm staying. And we double down on our thing. We harden our hearts. Time after time, he gives us opportunity. As I prayed earlier this morning, I pray again that we would make the most of every opportunity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your amazing love. God, that is why we are still sinners, that Christ died for us. God, we pray that you would help us to recognize the places where, um, where we, our hearts are hard. 
Lord, we ask that you would um, soften our hearts. God, that we would become not like the, um, the path and the parable of the soils that the seed never gets to sink into, that there is no crop, there is no uh, bearing fruit. But God, that you would break up that hardness in our hearts, that we would have good soil hearts. Or where the word really does uh, go down deep and grows and changes us. Lord, help us every step of the way to cooperate with, with you and what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in this world. Lord, help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, help us to have your agenda ahead of our own agenda. That it would be your kingdom, not our kingdom. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. He taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.